to the book of Luke, not Genesis, the book of Luke, chapter number 14. Man, I'm excited to preach in the New Testament for once. Haven't been able to preach uh, outside of our series through the life of Joseph. Thankful for that. Thank you, church, again, for giving me that opportunity. But tonight we'll be in Luke, chapter number 14. We'll read verse number 25 down through the end of the chapter, but we won't begin just yet. Uh, in just a moment, we will read. Uh, but Luke chapter number 14, we'll read again verse 25 down through the end of the chapter. Our emphasis this evening is going to be on the area of stewardship. Stewardship. Hey, when I said stewardship, the lights came on. We're going to be talking about the area of stewardship, but when we think of the area of stewardship, no doubt most of us, our mind goes to what? Money goes to our pocketbook. I'd show you, but there's none in there. There's never any money in there. My wife takes it all. But when we think of the area of stewardship, no doubt most of us, our mind goes to money. Our mind goes to being good stewards of our finances, and I think that that's important, and I think that we ought to preach and teach on that, but uh, don't worry. I'm not preaching on money tonight. I'm preaching on stewardship, because stewardship, the Bible has a lot to say about that area of stewardship, and it is not just in reference to money. Uh, here's something that I have on the area of stewardship. This is good. I'll say it two times. I want you to listen and write it down. Uh, I didn't come up with this. Stewardship is the total commitment of all that I am and all that I have to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. Stewardship is the total commitment of all that I am and all that I have to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the area of stewardship, and that's what we're going to be talking about this evening. Now, no doubt most of us that have grown up in church, or you've been going to this church for any length of time, uh, here's what we like to do, and you don't know it, but you did it even this morning as Brother Chip preached. Anytime that you hear a message preached, what you will do as a listener is you will begin to categorize the truth and the message that they are preaching. And here's what I mean by that. If you hear a message on money, you're going to say, this is a message, I'm going to put it in the demographic of a money message. Or maybe you hear a message about marriage and you will put it in the category of marriage. Every time that you hear a message preached, either intentionally or unintentionally, you are categorizing the truth that you're hearing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that that's great. We can, maybe that you sift through that and you're able to keep track of messages that are preached in that way if you separate them into different categories. But, if we were to be very specific and we were to be very diligent and tedious and we were to take every single message that you've ever heard, every single Sunday school message that you've ever heard, every single devotion that you've ever heard, you could narrow it down to two. You could narrow it down to two demographics. You say, no way, Lamar. No, hear me out. You could narrow it down to two kinds of messages. Well, what are they? Thank you for asking. The first one is this, comforting the afflicted. Comforting the afflicted. How many of you are so thankful that the word of God is a, it's a book that is encouraging. It's an encouraging book. I'm thankful for a pastor that uh, preaches from the word of God and he's not always abrasive and he's not always screaming, he's always yelling. Every now and then, I just, I'm gonna be honest, I need to come and I need to hear a message that is encouraging to me. I need that encouragement. I mean, hey, and by the way, let me just say this. We all need encouragement from time to time. We need to encourage this temple, one another, just as Brother Chip was talking about this morning. You have no clue, you have no idea the level and the, uh, the distance that an encouraging word will go to someone who is struggling in this church. You might not even know that they are struggling. Maybe they show on their face that they're excited, that they're happy, but down inside, uh, if they're honest, there is something going on that is discouraging them. And so, nonetheless, I love encouraging preaching. I can appreciate that. And many times in my life, I've come even to, into this body of believers, and I've said, Lord, I'm discouraged. I just need you to encourage me, and he's done that. Thank the Lord for that. Thank the Lord, again, for his word that is encouraging. 
Now, that's the first message. That's the first demographic of messages would be comforting the afflicted. But that's not all we need. There's another kind of message that we hear, and it is this, afflicting the comfortable. Did you hear me? You weren't nearly as enthusiastic as the afflicting the comfortable as you were as comforting the afflicted. No, we need that. We need that. We need to come into this church. We need to come into any church and to hear preaching that rubs you the wrong way. We need to come into this body of believers and hear pastor preach something, Brother Chip, or some Sunday school teacher preach or teach something that you don't like to hear. We need that. As a matter of fact, it would be good for all of us from time to time to come into church and to leave aggravated at what we just heard. You know what that is? That's conviction. That's conviction. When something rubs you the wrong way and it comes from the word of God, you can't get sore at the preacher. You can't get sore at the pastor. You can't get sore at the messenger. You know what you're gonna have to get sore at? You're gonna have to get sore at the word of God because that's conviction. The Lord uses affliction to bring forth conviction. Write that down and I want you to write Lamar 2019. I just came up with that. The Lord uses affliction to bring forth conviction. The Bible says through the foolishness of preaching. Through the foolishness of preaching. And every now and then we need to hear a message that's a little afflicting. That, again, rubs us the wrong way. I want you to take a wild guess at what tonight is going to be. Hey, I need this. Again, you need this. We, we need the Holy Spirit every, every now and then, again, to rub us the wrong way. I believe that the Lord desires to remove you from your position of complacency and bring you to a, comp- a, a position of complete surrender to Him. Complete surrender. I believe that there are people in this church that are just one major decision away, just one major decision away from totally transforming their Christian walk and totally transforming their outlook of life and totally transforming their fellowship after Jesus Christ by just one decision. What's that decision? All in for him. All in for him. Pastor's been preaching on that out of 1 Chronicles chapter number 29. For this work is great, for this palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Everything that we do on this side of heaven is for the Lord, but God does not want your leftovers. God does not want to take just portions and, and particles of your life. He wants to take all of it. Matter of fact, he demands that he, we give him all that we have. Brighton McGregor sang a great song on Wednesday night, All of Me, Lord, take all of me. The Lord does not want just partial rations. He wants the whole thing. He wants all of it. And that's the last step that you need to take to get God's best for your life in regards to your Christian walk. That's the last step this church needs to make in regards to our membership to have a church that is completely and totally devoted to God. That's the way that pastor came up with this theme. Pastor did not just sift through his Bible and say, okay, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. we're gonna preach and we're gonna have a theme. out of." No, he prayed. He prayed and he sought the Lord and he said, Lord, what do you want for this church? What do you want for me? What do you want for this congregation? And the Lord showed him through uh, the word of God and through much prayer, I want a church that is all in. I want a church that is completely and totally devoted no matter how they look at life, no matter the circumstances that might come in, we're very tempted from time to time to give us, I surrender all, and then all of a sudden, all of us is not so surrendered. Again, we need a message like this from time to time to bring us back into fellowship, and the only way we can get in fellowship with God, complete fellowship, is by complete obedience, which is through complete surrender. How many of you have ever heard of the Pony Express? The Pony Express, not talking about where you get orange chicken, that's Panda Express. Pony Express. The Pony Express was a privately owned company with a brief appearance in 1860 to 1861. 
Its starting point was St. Joseph's, Missouri, and made its way some 1,900 miles to Sacramento, California, in the span of only 10 days or less. At $2.50 an ounce, it was the cheapest and fastest way to deliver your mail to your friends and loved ones in that day. However, this convenience came at a cost, not by the dollar, but by the rider. Riders of the Pony Express would travel some 175 miles a day, changing horses every 15 to 25 miles, depending on the horse. To lighten the load and ensure efficiency, riders would only bring a few essentials. Flour, cornmeal, and my favorite, bacon. You should say amen. In addition, they'd carry a small box containing basic first aid items such as bandages, borax, and cream of tartar. Riders were even required to wear short sleeve shirts even in cold weather to help with resist, uh, air resist, wind resistance and aerodynamics. To say the least, the job of a Pony Express rider was not for the weak and the dainty. Given the unappealing requirements of such a critical task, how did the owners of the Pony Express make an appeal for the new riders to join them? This article was found in a San Francisco newspaper back in 1861, and it read, Wanted, young, skinny, wiry fellows not over 18, must be expert riders willing to risk death daily, and it closes with this, I love this, orphans preferred. Orphans preferred. That's the job of a Pony Express rider. I'd submit to you this evening that just as the life of a Pony Express rider was not easy, easy, neither is the life of a true, all-in disciple of Jesus Christ. Discipleship, like the Pony Express, is not an easy road. Just as the recruiters of the Pony Express were honest in their appeal for participants in this drooling task, so it is that the Word of God makes it clear the requirements of this task at hand. Being all in for him is not a call for the comfortable. Being all in for him is not a call for the complacent. Being all in for him, being an all in for him, a disciple of Jesus Christ, is not a call for the casual. Here it is. It is a call for the committed, the complete committed. And here are the words in Luke chapter number 14 and verse number 25. We don't do this often, but could we stand in, in honor of the reading of the word of God? We're going to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. I'm going to read aloud. I want you to read silently, but I want you to participate for just a moment tonight. We're going to come to a section of scripture, three sections, and I want you to read, and I'll give you the instructions when that time comes by saying, ready, begin, okay? So verse number 25, I'll read. And there went a great multitude with him, and he turned and said unto them, if any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sister, yea, his own life also. Read this next part with me. Ready? Begin. He cannot be my disciple. Verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me. Read with me, church. Begin. Cannot be my disciple. Verse 28. For which of you? Intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it. Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that beheld it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war, 
going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth, or yes, consulteth, whether he be able to with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000, or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. Verse 33, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, read with me, church, begin, he cannot be my disciple. And then we see an odd transition in verse number 34. It seems very out of place. I'll read it, and we'll talk about it in just a moment. He says, salt is good. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dung hill, but men cast it out. And then he closes in saying, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. For just a moment tonight, just a moment, I'd like to talk to you about this subject in light of our text. His call for my all. I want you to think about that. His call for my all. We'll say a quick word of prayer and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for your many blessings and allowing us again the opportunity to come. Although there are a few here tonight, we do want to be in prayer for those who are out and about. Lord, I pray that you build a a hedge of uh, protection around the members of Wooden Valley Baptist Church in this snowy weather. Even as we go home, that you'd give us safe traveling mercies and uh, give good road conditions. Lord, I pray for that. I do pray for Pastor and uh, the 16 of us that are over in Mexico coming back and traveling tomorrow. I pray that you'd be with them just a couple more hours there in Mexico. But Lord, it's not too late for you to do a great work. Pray that you'd be with them as they share the gospel, that you would give them opportunities on their way back even to share the gospel. We're excited to hear the report of what you've already done there in Mexico. Lord, I do pray for tonight. I need your power. I need you to speak to me. I need you to speak through me. I need you to help me, Lord, as I preach this this message. Lord, I need this. This whole church needs this. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for reading with me. If you paid any attention to what we just read, you'll recognize a repeating phrase that occurs three times in our text, and I had you read it with me, but just for the sake of repetition, let's read it again. Uh, Cannot be my disciple. Ready, begin. Cannot be my disciple. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus was speaking to a great multitude, yet he did not find the necessity to sugarcoat his message to those who are listening. He did not find it necessary to put a layer of sprinkles on the top. No, he was very abrasive and very specific in his message that he was preaching to this great congregation. Unlike a lot of churches in this world today, he wasn't looking for a crowd. He was looking for commitment. He wasn't looking for just a decision. He was looking for discipleship. I love what Ibor Pell said in his commentary on Luke. He said, we have become slaves to statistics, and quantity has superseded quality. It would be well if preachers would proclaim, as it were, from the housetops, that the church membership does not necessarily mean discipleship. Did you hear what I just said? Did you hear what he just said? Church membership does not necessarily mean discipleship. What does that mean? Can I tell you right now that a large portion of the people that are involved in the local New Testament church, they think that because they are members and they place their membership in this body that they are now disciples of Jesus Christ. Far teachings from the Bible. Just because you're a member of a church does not mean you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever heard of Vance Havner? Vance Havner, famous preacher of yesteryear. Okay, raise your hand really high like you mean it. Who's heard of Vance Havner? 
there's not enough hands raised. You need to go on YouTube and you need to look up Vance Havner. You want to talk about a preacher did, that did not sugarcoat anything that he had to say? Man, he was uh, uh, at times abrasive and he did not apologize for preaching very harshly. Matter of fact, some of the things that he said today, a preacher would not be caught dead saying. Why? Because of fear of what the congregation might do to him. Vance Havner did not apologize for being a bold proclaimer of Jesus Christ. Here's what he said. We have put the demands of discipleship in fine print for fear of scaring present day prospects. We have put the demands of discipleship in fine print for fear of scaring present day prospects. What does that mean? That means that we are all about soul winning. We are all about winning people to Christ as long as we can keep it a secret of what it's going to cost them if they accept Jesus Christ and choose to follow him. That, that describes, I would say, a large portion of the progressive Christian movement in that we want to win as many people as we can, but we don't want to let them know, we don't want to let them in on the secret that making the decision to follow Jesus Christ is going to cost them something. Why? Because it's unappealing. It's very unappealing. They accept Jesus Christ, and in this church, you're going to find out really quickly that it's going to require you to be active about the work of the Lord. That's discipleship. Jesus was not playing games with his congregation. He wasn't playing games when he's addressing this multitude. Jesus Christ meant business, and here's the, here's the message of his message. He wanted them, those who were listening, to mean business with him. Like the Pony Express, going all in for him is not going to appeal to the casually interested. Being all in for him is going to cost you something. Being all in for him, the Bible says, is going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you a lot. It's going to cost you your service and your devotion, your passion. He asks for our service to him not to become a pastime, here it is, but a priority. He wants men and women who are willing to give of their all. I concur with Pastor Mark Batterson who once said this, my greatest concern as a pastor is that people can go to church every week of their lives and never go all in for Jesus Christ. They can follow the rules but never follow Christ. He continues, I'm afraid we've cheapened the gospel by allowing people to buy in without ever selling out. We've made it too convenient, too comfortable. We've given people just enough Jesus to be bored, but not enough Jesus to feel the surge of Holy Spirit adrenaline that courses through the veins, courses through your veins when you decide to follow him no matter what, no matter where, no matter when. Wow. We're too Christian to enjoy sin at its finest, but we are far too sinful to enjoy Christ at his fullest. We have just enough Jesus to be informed, but not enough Jesus to be transformed. If I ask the question tonight, are you following after the things of God? Are you in fellowship with Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of him? No doubt most of us would make a line right here and say, yep, count me in. I'm all in for him. I promise you, Lamar, if there's anybody in this church that would, be, uh, uh, would, be, would fall into the demographic of someone who is sold out and all in for him, it's me. I promise you everything. My all is on the altar. I've committed everything that I have. No doubt most of us would want to have that opinion of ourselves. And it, the opinion is this, I'm all in for him. But the, the truth be told that in most churches today and probably in this church, we've not accepted the call to follow Jesus with our lives, but what, rather we've inquired that he follow us with his blessing. Did you hear me? 
We've not accepted this call that is found in Luke chapter number 14 to follow him with our all, but what we have done is we've inquired, you are gonna follow me as long as you continue to give me blessings. We want the blessings of God without the sacrifice. You'll never find that anywhere recorded in scripture. You'll never find that anywhere in the word of God. Any preacher that is worth his salt is not gonna preach a message that will lend you to believe that you can buy in, as Brother Batterson said, without selling out. The truth is, the life of a disciple, an all-in disciple, I should say, is not how it's made out to be by, by most churches. It's not how it's made out to be by most preachers. It's definitely not how it's made out to be by most Christians. Discipleship is not attending a church service once a week. Discipleship is not reading your Bible whenever the pastor reads his text on Sunday morning. Discipleship is not just going to the Lord in prayer whenever your circumstance deems hopeless. Listen, discipleship is far more than that. Here's what it is. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's a life lived out. This lifestyle requires more of you than you have within yourselves to give. This lifestyle is hard. This lifestyle, again, is for the committed. It's not for the casually interested. Take sacrifice. Say, okay, Lamar, sign me up. I just have one question. What is this lifestyle going to get me? If that is your spirit and your attitude, you cannot be his disciple. If your spirit and your attitude is, yes, I want to follow Christ as long as the Lord gives me the blessing, you cannot be his disciple. If your motive behind your fellowship to Jesus Christ is dependent upon not what you can do for him, but rather what he can do for you, you can't be his disciple. God does not sugarcoat it in his word. God does not sugarcoat it in the, in the word of God and neither should a preacher. I'm gonna be honest with you this evening. We are full. There's churches that are full of people, again, who are, who are bought in without, excuse me, they're bought in without selling out. Pastor's theme, again, all in for him, given a lot of prayer and devotion and thought behind that theme. But I think it's very important. I think it's very important that you understand the severity of that call. I think it's important that we understand as a church and as followers of Jesus Christ exactly what you are getting yourself into when you make the decision to go all in for him. Christ has called us to be his disciples. He's called us for our all. A few things quickly I'd like you to notice in our text tonight. Number one, to be all in for him, there are priorities to be established. There are priorities to be established in verse number 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sister, yea, in his own life also, read it with me, church, he cannot be my disciple. Understand that Jesus is not telling us that we ought to love the ones whom he's in previous chapters told us that we ought, or excuse me, hate the ones whom in previous chapters he's told us that we ought to love. The same God would not tell us that we ought to love our enemy as ourselves, love our neighbor as ourselves, and then turn around and tell us that we ought to hate our family. The word hate here means something far less than what we think that it means. When we think of that word hate, we think uh, to despise and to abhor. The word hate here in this text simply means this, to love less. To love less. Mark puts, or excuse me, Matthew puts it a, a little bit differently in chapter number 10 and verse number 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You see, it's not a matter of whether or not we love our families. We ought to love our families. 
We ought to love our families. I hope there's not a little boy in here saying, see, mom, Lamar said that I'm supposed to hate my sister and I'm supposed to hate my mom. No, 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 the Lord has given us clear instructions that we ought to love our family. It's not a matter of loving our families. Here it is. It's a matter of loving our families more than we love Jesus Christ. More than we love Jesus Christ. There are priorities to be established. The call for your all, the disciples were in Matthew and in Luke, and whenever Jesus called the disciples, and as a matter of fact, in the word of God, anybody that has ever found following after Jesus Christ, you'll find that in a lot of cases, it costs them far more than it costs someone today. The decision by some of these disciples and some of the people recorded in scripture that follow after Jesus Christ, the decision to follow after Jesus Christ, a lot of the times it meant breaking fellowship with their family. A lot of the times it meant that they could no longer fellowship with those whom they called family. When I think of that kind of sacrifice, you know who I think of? I think of our missionaries. Oh man, we have no clue. We have no idea how good we have it here in Cotter, America. When you, man, I talked to Brother Moses this past week, and I, I tell you what, you ought to be encouraged to be an American where you can follow, and it's not really going to cost you near as much. But some of these foreign countries, especially in the Middle East, especially in the, in the area of India, the call to follow after Jesus Christ is going to cost them fellowship with their family. Case in point, Wednesday night, I don't think that she's here, so I'm going to share this, but Wednesday night, we prayed for a lady named Miss Sharika. And I've been communicating, me and Miss Farinella have been communicating with her, and I've been communicating with Brother Moses on how I could best, or we, how we as a church could best reach her. And she reached out to us, and she's from India. She came from Berlin, New Jersey. Thank the Lord, uh, Miss Joyce uh, shared the gospel with her, and she accepted Christ. Her husband is a priest at this Hindu temple that's here in Bothell. And she reached out to us. It's been months since she reached out to us, and I only found out the reason it took her so long is because she was afraid of what her husband might do. And I got Brother uh, Moses' counsel, and he said, given the situation and given what I know, am I lying? This is what he said, Miss Farinella, I would not be surprised if abuse was involved. Yet here she is, and she's contacting us, and she says, I desire to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. She took a job that is over an hour away, here's why, so she can listen to audio Bible on her way to work. But everything she does is in secret. You know, that's not in a foreign country, that's right here within a mile of this church. That's all in discipleship. There's a missionary by the name of John Henderson who's been a faithful missionary in the, uh, in the country of Malaysia for many years. And uh, Brother um, Henderson received a message from a pastor and uh, he said, Brother Henderson, we'd like to take a group of young people over and we'd like to see how it is and maybe get opportunity to share the gospel and just check up and see how the ministry's doing. Brother Henderson, absolutely, come on over. And so they went, they made the trip with just a handful of young teenagers and uh, when they got there, uh, Brother Henderson said, okay, um, so I'm gonna translate, you're gonna preach. Oh, by the way, at the close of the service, we're gonna have a baptizing. And he said, that's awesome. And so he began to preach and right in the middle of his uh, introduction, a young lady about 17 years old came down the center aisle and behind her she was carrying a suitcase with a couple of boxes and in her hand she had a uh, pillow and some blankets came down bypassed every row and came and sat on the front row he finished his message that day they accumulated closed in prayer and they headed right over to the river to, uh, uh, to for the church to observe this baptizing and right behind them came this young lady carrying her things close behind 
And she came, put her things down, and walked out into the water. She was the one who was getting baptized. And man, the church rejoiced as she was baptized. They were so excited to see her follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Uh, and, and they dismissed, they dispersed, and there she went down the street in her flip-flops, carrying those things right behind her. And the pastor looked at the missionary and said, man, what a blessing. Could I ask you, is, is that lady, is she, she going on a trip or is she heading on a, on a journey or something like that? And he said, somewhat. That girl got saved two weeks ago. When she went back to her village, this is a true story, when she went back to her village and told her village about Jesus Christ, they said, if you ever step foot in the doors of that church again, you can kiss your family goodbye and you are no longer welcome in this fellowship. You're no longer welcome in this village. 17 years old, made the decision to pack her things. Pack her things, and I don't know where she went, no one knows where she went, but you know what? She said, I'm gonna follow Jesus Christ. No matter what it takes, no matter what it's gonna cost me, his call is for my all. I surrender everything that I have. That's all in discipleship. That's what it means to love Jesus more than your family. That's what it means to be all in for him. If we're gonna be all in for him, there are priorities to be established. There are some things that you're gonna have to set in place, but could we just start here? How about Christ be your first love? Christ be your first love. You could worry about all the other things and the Lord will speak to you and he'll reveal those things to you. I'm not gonna take time to preach a bunch of things that you ought to give up. Can I just say, why don't we just start right here? Christ be your first love. In the life of a lot of Christians today, they have Jesus Christ present in their lives. And in some Christians today, Jesus is prominent in their lives. But you know what Jesus said? I must have the preeminence. I must have the preeminence. I must have the priority. Christian, where's Jesus at? Wooden Valley Baptist Church, where's Jesus at in your life? You say, uh, Jesus is present. Hey, I don't want to be little that. If Jesus is not present, he'd like to be. If Jesus is not present in your heart, he'd like to be. Man, what a great decision that, would be, uh, that, that could be made tonight on a snowy night in February. What a wonderful opportunity it would be. No opportunity like right now to accept Jesus Christ. But hey, Christian, is all Jesus to you present? Is he just there? No, 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 not me. <laughs> oh, man, Jesus is very important. Very important in my life, Lamar. I've got him very high on the pedestal. I consult him several times about some of these bigger topics. Okay, good for you. You cannot be his disciple. Christ says, I must have the preeminence. I must be at the top of your list. I must be the most important. If we're gonna be all in for him, there are priorities to be established. Number two, if we're gonna be all in for him, there is a price to be exacted. There is a price to be exacted. Read with me in verse number 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, read it with me, church, cannot be my disciple. We must understand that just as Jesus paid a price to save us, we must be willing to pay a price to serve him. You say, that's works-based salvation. Hear what I am saying. Jesus paid a great price. Do I need to convince anybody of that tonight? Jesus paid a great price. Jesus gave of his all to save us from our sins. Once we accept Jesus Christ, there is a price to be exacted. There is a price that we are going to have to make to follow him. That's why he uses the illustration of counting the cost of a building and for a battle. You say, Lamar, what did he mean when Jesus talks about bearing your cross? What did he mean? Can I tell you what he didn't mean? What Jesus Christ did not mean in regards to bearing your cross and the call to bear your cross is to have to deal with the petty problems of life and to bear the burdens of life. That is not the cross that Jesus Christ is talking about. 
lot of the times when we come into church and we start to discuss with one another the different problems, hey, how's this going? Oh, it's going okay. This could be better. But hey, we all have our cross to bear. What a belittled view of the cross of Jesus Christ. To compare it in the realm of eternity to the petty problems that we go through, to compare it to the eternal suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross for you and for me. The cross in Jesus' day had only one purpose, one design, and one function. One purpose. What's that purpose? Death. Whenever you would see somebody bearing a cross or carrying a cross, it was not because they did something that instigated punishment, but rather they did something that ensured death. Every time you see a cross reference in Scripture, it is directly correlated to someone dying a physical death. When Jesus is referencing our cross in Luke number 14, he isn't talking about the hardships we'll face. He isn't talking about the burdens we'll have to bear. Here it is. He's talking about death. He's talking about a real death that we're going to have to face. Jesus is making it clear here that the expectations are not only to see us live for him, here it is, but to die with him. Paul says it this way, I die daily. The call to discipleship is a call of self-denial and death, not a call of self-fulfillment and delight. Jesus was saying, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to die to some things. What things? What things am I going to have to die? Uh, hey, I could go on a 90-second rant on all the things that you're going to have to give up and all the things that you're going to have to die, uh, die to, but could I just leave it as the hymn writer said it? Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Keep the way clear. Let nothing between. Being true disciples of Christ will require sacrifice that will affect us physically, spiritually, financially, materialistically, socially, and maybe even for some of us, geographically. Pastor, and man, I love that they're on a missions trip, and I think that we should have more of them, but wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if someone just in this church was sold, sold out to Jesus Christ that God called them on the mission field? I'll quote Vance Havner again. He said this, we need men and women of the cross with the message of the cross, bearing the marks of the cross. The church has devised a new cross today, an ornament to wear around the neck or our lapel. We wear it like a charm, a holy horseshoe. However, such an ornament does not interfere with godless living, never goes against the grain of the old nature. That's the cross that we proclamate and that we push today in our churches. The message of the, uh, the, the modern day Christian movement is this, Christianity light. Tastes great, less filling. It's, it's all based on consumership. It's all based on what the church is able to do for me. It's all based upon what I can get out of being a membership, uh, putting my membership in this particular church. Every, I mean, uh, you ask the modern day Christian and you know what? The average reason why they leave a church is because the church does not have enough programs to offer them. They come and they seek a program. Man, I gotta have a youth, act, uh, I gotta have a youth activity every single week. I need all, all the sorts of bells and whistles in regards to the, the, uh, the facility. I need children's ministries. I need, these, I need all these different things and I'm making this list and nowhere on the list is an all-in discipleship and all-in followership of Jesus Christ. We have, we have commercialized the church today. Man, it'd be great if someone would preach a message on that. Heard it this morning. We are the church. 
The church is not found in a bunch of different things that we do and a bunch of different programs that we have. It's not even found in this building, though we are thankful for it. No, the church is right here. It's Burger King religion. Have it your way. Whatever you want, I'm sure you can find it in a church. I, 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 these notes were present. They were already written and I was already praying and preparing before Brother Chip ever preached that message this morning. But I love what he said about how we treat church, uh, how we, here it is, do church. The teachings of 1 Corinthians is this, that we are the church, but we have totally abandoned that teaching today. And here's what we like to do. We like to do church. Church is something that we participate in sometimes once a week if we feel like it. Church is something that we call whenever we're going through a dilemma or a problem. Or maybe church is something that we uh, neglect for many years at a time, but the moment that our children become wayward, we like to plug them in. That's how we do church. It's something that we just participate in. Just a few, uh, maybe two years ago, this video surfaced on Facebook. It was all over the places on YouTube as well, and I got tagged several times in this video by some of my progressive Christian friends, and man, they were really excited about it, and they were all for it, and the title of the video was this, Why I Hate Church But Love Jesus. Now, if that's your favorite video and you think that's the greatest thing since sliced bread, I apologize, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but can I tell you, that is an oxymoron. You cannot hate the church and love Jesus Christ. You can't, I'll say it again, you cannot hate the church and love Jesus Christ, you just can't. One of the, one of the, the pushes and the, the, the agendas of the, the, the modern day Christian movement is this, that Jesus came to abolish religion. Jesus came to abolish religion, no he did not. That was not the intention, we talked about it in Sunday school this morning, those were in our class. Jesus' intention was to come to save sinners for repentance, uh, excuse me, save uh, sinners through repentance and to establish his church. That was his goal, that was his agenda. So therefore, I'm sorry, and I understand that the intention behind it maybe was pure, and he was trying to say it's more than just church membership. Again, Brother Chip preached that this morning. You ought to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You ought to be worried about this temple. But can I tell you something? You cannot be an all-in disciple of Jesus Christ and neglect the assembly. You can't do it. You cannot come and you cannot tell me or anybody else next to you, I'm an all-in disciple of Jesus Christ and forsake the assembly. The rest of that verse says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know what he's saying? The closer we get to Jesus' return, the more we need this place. The closer we get to the return of Jesus, the more services I think that we ought to have, the more messages that ought to be preached. Yet where are we today? Some of us in this room might agree with that statement. And I'm not going to get ugly, but I know where you won't be on Wednesday. I know where you won't be Saturday morning visitation. Hey, you say, that's kind of harsh. I have a family. Already talked about that. Uh, I have a job and I have different priorities. Already talked about that. Hey, there's a price to be exacted. It's going to cost you something. Finding Christ's life in our death is the essence of all in discipleship. If we're going to be all in for him, there are priorities to be established. There is a price to be exacted. Lastly, tonight, number three. There is a passion to be exhibited. There's a passion to be exhibited. Luke, uh, excuse me, verse number thir uh, 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not, what's that next word? All that he hath, read it with me, church. He cannot be my disciple. I want you to understand that his call for my all, his call for my all that we're talking about here in Luke 14 is not to give away everything that you have. 
You say, Lamar, man, you're telling me I'm going to have to give away this, and I'm going to have to give away this, and I'm going to have to give away that. Um, actually, let's go a step further. The call for your all is not to give away everything, because you know what the problem with that thinking is? To give away something means that you assume ownership. If I were to give away my phone tonight, if I were to hand it over to Brother James and I were to say, my phone's not on me. If I were to hand you my phone, Brother James, I'm assuming, assuming ownership of my phone and I'm transferring the ownership over to him. And now he owns the phone. One problem, when you are giving your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are bought with a price and yet not your own. The problem with that thinking is you don't own you in the first place. We don't own ourselves in the first place. Here's the call. The call is not to give away everything that we have, but to give up everything that we are. We are to give up everything. That is, he requires us to give up ownership so that he might do with us what he desires to do with us. But something that I've realized when it comes to anything in life, Christianity not excluded, is that you are not going to be devoted to something that you are not passionate about. It's only a matter of time if you work a job that you're not passionate about that you are going to be, become dissatisfied and look for another job. It's only a matter of time, unfortunately, in a marriage for a lot of people where they are not passionate about their marriage and then eventually the, the time comes and they're going to depart. I'm saying you're not going to be totally sold out to something you are not passionate about. I could implement a number of different athletes in this segment in this illustration that I'm going to share, but today is Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, let's be honest, how many of you despise Tom Brady? Tom Brady is one of the winningest quarterbacks of all time, one of the winningest uh, quarterbacks in regards to Super Bowl history. He's accomplished, some people are even, if he wins tonight, which by the way, don't tell me, and actually I really don't care, because I don't care about either of those teams, but nonetheless, if uh, Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl tonight, it would be almost impossible to argue that Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback, at least maybe even the greatest football player of all time. Let me ask you, would anybody question whether or not Tom Brady is all in for the Patriots? Anybody want to make that argument? I've got a couple of rings that I'd like to show you. I've got a couple of stat lines that I'd like to show you. No one's going to question whether or not Tom Brady is all in for the Patriots. Why? Because his fruits show it. And we could apply that to any area of life. We could apply it really to anybody. That's our motive and that's our drive. We want to be passionate about something and we will go all in for anything when we're passionate about something. Whether it's a sport, whether it's a job, whether it's social status, it doesn't matter what it is. You will give of your all to what you're passionate about. But Christian, those of you who know Christ, those of you who profess the name of Christ, could you believe, could you wrap your mind around someone giving of their life and their talent and their everything to something that is temporary? Being an all-in disciple of Jesus Christ, it's gonna cost you something, but the reward is eternal. Devoting your life to Jesus Christ Yes, you get rewards today, and although uh, I, I don't want to paint a, a false narrative where striving uh, and giving your all to Jesus Christ is going to be a drooling task for the rest of your life here on earth, and it's going to never give you, no, hey, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life, and as long as I continue to stay in fellowship with Jesus Christ, hard times will come, but I am happy in serving the Lord, but it's nothing in comparison to eternity. When we get to, the, when we get to see our Savior face to face, and he looks at us and he says, well done, now good and faithful servant. What's that going to cost? Passion. You're going to have to be passionate. Jesus takes an odd turn in our text again, and he starts talking about salt. 
And although the illustration and the analogy behind the salt might seem so uh, foreign to us, it was all too familiar to those who were listening. Those people in Jesus' day, you gotta understand that salt was a very valuable commodity. It was something that was very valuable. It had, uh, a matter of fact, they would go to the marketplace and sometimes they would not use money like we would see. They would use salt to pay for their belongings. Very valuable commodity. And in regards to a soldier, they used salt to pay a soldier for his duty to his country. It was said of a soldier that was unwilling to sacrifice, unwilling to stand on the front lines of the battlefield, unwilling to give of their all, that that soldier was not worth their salt. You ever heard that statement before? Comes right out of Luke chapter number 14. Not worth their salt. Any soldier that wasn't full of passion necessary to be all in for their country was not only viewed less than those willing to give of their all, here it is, but he was also viewed as a detriment and a threat to those who did give all that they had. The point that Jesus is trying to make here is this. Someone who professes the name of Christ but is not willing to pay the price to follow him is not worth their salt. In addition, he goes farther. Their lack of passion makes them more of a detriment to his fellow soldiers than uh, that are fighting for the cause of Christ with their all. When lost, I'll say it this way, when the world sees the church behaving the same way that the world behaves, when the world sees the church performing the same way that the, uh, excuse me, the church say the same way that the world is performing, when they see the Christian saying the same things that the world is saying, you know what kind of message that that sends to the world? That this church, this temple, and the man that we serve, Jesus Christ, is irrelevant. Whenever we preach a message with our lives that is anything less than Christ has the preeminence, they look at that and you know what they say? They say that the God that we serve and the place where we congregate, irrelevant. Let that sink in. I want you to think about that. Again, when you or I preach a message with our lives that says anything less than that Christ has the preeminence, then we are a detriment to the cause of Christ and our fellow soldiers, and we are not worth our salt. I led with this. It's not an easy road. It's difficult. It's gonna cost you something. It's gonna cost you everything. To be an all-in disciple of Jesus Christ is not an easy road. I think of the missionary David Livingston. And David Livingston, a great missionary there in Africa, and for many years he served. How many of you have heard of David Livingston? Probably the most famous missionary of all time. And over the course of his ministry, there were many times in David Livingston's ministry where people would reach out to him and they would desire that they would come over to Africa and help him with the ministry. But he realized very quickly that everybody's intentions were not so pure nor did they have what it takes to be able to minister to such a hostile area that he, uh, as, as, uh, as, as hostile of an area as that, that he was in in Africa. And there was one particular organization, a mission organization that reached out to uh, Brother Livingston and they said, hey, 
We're inquiring about the condition of the roads. We're inquiring about the condition of this village that is just a, a, a little, I believe, to the north of you. And so we were wondering, uh, we heard about there was hostility in the government and, uh, and in the country and there was uh, some genocides and so forth. We're inquiring about the condition of the roads. Are we able to get there safely? We're very concerned, but we want to go and we want to be a blessing and we want to help and we want to start this ministry. And here is what he responded back very simply. There is no easy roads and I do not want your help. There is no easy roads, and I do not want your help. You know what Brother Livingston is saying? He's saying that anybody that is more consumed with the conditions of the road and not consumed with the conditions of the reward, not worth my salt, not worth their salt, not worth my trouble, not worth my time. Not an easy road. Being an all-in disciple of Jesus Christ, again, is not for the casually interested. It's not for the comfort-seeking Christian. There are priorities to be established. Christ must have the preeminence to be all-in for him. There is a price to be exacted. You cannot buy in without selling out. There is a passion to be exhibited. To be all-in for him requires giving up everything and giving in. So can I ask you tonight in closing as the pianist comes and gets ready to play, are you worth your salt? Christian, let's talk to you. Are you worth your salt? Are you actively busy about the work of the Lord? But can I tie it into the theme? As a church, if you place your membership in this church, hey, church member, are you worth your salt? We do not measure our worthiness on how much we do. I need to be careful. If you are, hey, there's, there's something to be said about this. If you are actively involved in everything for the sake of just being busy, you can't be his disciple. Your priorities are all mixed up. You're worried and consumed about what following Jesus Christ can do for you. But can I ask you, what are you doing? Are you carrying your weight? Are you actively involved? Are you maxed out? Does Christ have the preeminence in your life? Not, not a call for the casually interested. It's a call for the committed. So I ask you tonight, are you worth your salt? Let's stand, we'll have a word of prayer and I want you to just think and pray about that as I pray. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us tonight. Thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross. What a price that he had to pay on Calvary and what a small price it would be in the realm of eternity for on this side of the cross for us to make the decision to be all in for you and to serve, us, serve you with all that we have. Lord, I pray that you would be with us, be with this invitation tonight. Lord, so thankful for those who are able to be here tonight. I pray that you'd speak with us, you'd give us clarity, and I pray that we'd come to the point of decision, Lord. The decision is simply this, that we would be all in for you. Thank you so much, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. As